Welcome to, or welcome back to, the UFO Thinker podcast. My name's Frank, and let's get cracking, or let's get re-cracking, or something like that, because I've been away for a little while. So I'm going to explain a little bit about where I've been, now, what I'm going to be doing now I'm back, and all that kind of thing. If anybody does want to skip ahead to the actual UFO-related stuff of what's been going on and that kind of thing, um, feel free to check out the timestamps in the description. It'll be probably somewhere around about the 8 or 9 minute mark I'll get into all that. But for now, let's get into like what's been going on. So uh, I'd just like to explain a bit about where I disappeared to and whatnot. Um, I did post some things on Patreon and on Twitter about this, um, but I didn't get a chance to actually put something up on the podcast, and I'm aware that some people are not on the Patreon or the Twitter. So uh, I suppose just like to apologise if anybody's wondered where I was. I've had messages and emails and things from people saying, uh, you know where did you get to and things like that and uh, lots of really really nice messages from people as well and um you know just appreciate everybody's kind of you know uh, concern for my well-being there was some jokey one somebody suggested that i might have been abducted <laughs> or abducted by some kind of shadowy intelligence group because uh, i was getting too close to the truth unfortunately not quite as exciting as that um it's basically just uh, I've got uh, I've I've had a new job for the majority of this year, and I think I've mentioned that on the podcast for regular listeners will probably remember me discussing it. And things got uh, really really hectic, and the workload over the summer uh, was was particularly intense. And I was having to do less episodes and just kind of put an episode out. Um, you know, every every couple of weeks. It was started off weekly when I first began the podcast. It was every single week podcast on the same day, and it just became very difficult to do that. And um, at the end of the day, you know, I, I, when things become really really difficult to fit in, and I felt like it was just you know a bit a bit too much to be to be doing at that point in time, and I wasn't finding the um, the, you know the time to really put the research into the episodes and. Uh, you know it takes a long time you listen to an hour's episode the hour itself you know is just what you end up hearing but obviously there's hours of research that go into making all my notes and things and planning and then recording it takes a little bit of time and then the editing and these are huge files as well so they take a long time to just transfer from one place to another and edit you know i'm not saying get the little violin out or anything like that you know don't, i don't want anybody to feel sorry for me, but i'm just saying a lot of work that goes into it and when you've got two very young kids like myself at the moment, I've got a one-year-old and a four-year-old and uh, a very intense you know, day job, which at the end of the day is what pays my bills. Um, and there's a lot of those bills, particularly in this day and age. Uh, I just had to put this on the back burner for a while, unfortunately, um, you know, for my own kind of mental health, I guess, and just for, um, you know, for the, for the sake of kind of keeping it fresh and, and wanting to be able to put full energy into into doing the podcast because because I I really love doing this and I didn't want that to to not be the case you know if I was making myself do it even though I didn't feel like I had the time to do it, that kind of thing so that that's basically it and as I say sorry if anybody didn't realize what had happened I know quite a few people had 
searched for my twitter and then seen the the pinned tweet and sent me a message and things like that off the back of that and um you know a couple of people saying that the you know they used to listen, look forward to the podcast coming out because they'd listen on the way to work and you know i really love that kind of thing because i have the same with podcasts i listen to you know people it's just like what you do with the radio stations you, you you have a certain you know radio station or a certain podcast that you you enjoy it's part of your ritual of the morning you know certain days when the podcast comes out and things and you know you get to know somebody's voice and at the end of the day if people are listening to me talking on for hours while they're driving to work it's um you know it's uh it becomes a part of, of your life really and I've always said on the show I really enjoy that I'm part of people's commute to work and keeping people company and stuff and it's it's great that and um you'll be you'll be pleased to know if you're one of those folks that I'm back again to accompany you on your dog walk or your commute to work or wherever it is that you listen to the pod. I think one of the coolest ones I've I've heard was there was somebody on a on a, a fishing trawler uh, in in the the Arctic Circle, I believe it was, if I remember rightly. This is going back over a year now. So, so somebody out there in the Arctic Circle on a fishing trawler is is probably, you know, freezing to the bone, doing fishing and listening to me talking about UFOs. <laughs> it's particularly cool. But anyway, there we go. That is just a little bit about where I've where I've been and what I'm planning on doing now. Things have calmed down a little bit and now I've got a bit more used to my routine and things. I'm hoping to have a bit more time. Um, but what I'm going to be doing is planning to get the monthly roundtable going again as we did. So at the end of each month there'll be a monthly roundtable discussion with myself and Dave, Ash and Greg and potentially other guests occasionally as well. And outside of that rather than doing a, a weekly episode the plan is just to basically go for an episode as and when i can and there's there's a, a few podcasts i listen to that do that rather than do an episode every week um they just do an episode when, whenever they can with i guess with a bit of an emphasis on quality over quantity you might not get an episode every week but hopefully the the quality of what we do put out with episodes is um, you know makes up for the, the the lack of frequency if you will so the the patreon page has, has been restarted now and once again a huge thanks to everybody who supports on patreon i really appreciate that support and i just didn't feel it was it was right to leave patreon running it considering i wasn't putting out any shows for about three months ish uh, i think it's been three or four months but now uh, I'm back again. The Patreon is also back, and there's not that many uh, of you Patreon supporters. But I, you know, I appreciate every single bit of support we get on there because it really helps to just keep the show running, and it means I can basically break even on the costs of running the podcast and not be out of pocket. You know, at the end of the day, I as I've said earlier on, I love doing podcasts, and I would love to do this every single day if I had the choice. But I'm certainly not a wealthy man, and I have bills to pay, as I mentioned, quite a lot of those especially with young kids so for now i have to keep up my career outside the pod and just do episodes as and where i can uh, with the time constraints and the energy constraints etc um so there we go that's that now let's get into the the other bits and bobs so i think obviously goes without saying that one of the biggest things that's happened over the last few months has been uh david grush coming forward so before i went away on my kind of hiatus i did a fairly in-depth episode about david grush and his claims and his background so i won't go into that in too much detail just now but just for anybody who's not aware um david charles grush 
Uh, he's a decorated Afghanistan combat veteran and former Air Force intelligence officer. He he worked in the NGA National Geospace uh, National Geospatial Intelligence Agency and the National Reconnaissance Office NRO. In uh, from 2019 to 2020, he was the representative of the NRO to the uh, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force. And from 2021 to 2022, he was the co-lead for UAP analysis at NGA and its representative to the task force. He also actually assisted in drafting the National Defence Authorisation Act of 2023, which includes provisions for reporting of UFOs, including whistleblower protections and exemptions to non-disclosure agreements and whatnot. And um, when Mr. Grush decided to come forward, it was through a story from Leslie Kane and Ralph Blumenthal, um, which was initially supposed to be coming out through various other outlets like the New York Times and uh, Politico, uh, which they were approached apparently and declined to publish the story. And the Washington Post was also in, in the works. And I remember talking about this before the story came out because there was the word on the grapevine that the Washington Post was going to have this big story about a whistleblower. In the end, it didn't come out through the Washington Post because they, they wanted to conduct more fact-checking and various things like that behind the scenes. And the authors of the article basically decided that that wasn't going to be acceptable because the rumours at this point were starting to get a bit out of control. Dave was starting to get um, you know like harassed, phone calls and things like that, and they were getting more and more concerned about the harassment that he was getting. And they decided that in order to protect him, basically to get the story out, and the the actual vetting that was done on Grush was pretty in depth, and it was the debrief in the end. Um, Tim McMillan, founder of the debrief, um, I've discussed on the podcast many times. Most listeners will probably be familiar with the debrief website. Um, very very thorough, and it's funny because the discussion about all this kind of, in some cases, through mainstream media kind of outlets and whatnot they discussed it as kind of a you know like a, as though the debrief was some kind of fringe website some kind of like because it's not like a an established it's not like cnn or something it's not a huge website compared to some of the art some of the outlets that i discussed earlier that declined to publish the story and that was almost used to sort of minimize the the story itself but it's funny because if you actually know about the debrief and you followed their track record and Tim McMillan's track record, they are as good as it gets. I mean, the vetting that they do behind the scenes before they put any single claim into print is it is really in-depth and thorough. And Tim McMillan himself, I follow him on Twitter, I've done since the beginning of the podcast. Um, I don't agree with every single thing he says, but you know, whenever he puts forward an argument... The thinking and the the sound reasoning behind that argument is what I what I have a lot of respect for, and when an article comes out, and and also the Tim McMillan separate um, kind of summary that he did of the vetting that went into um, you know Dave Grush's background and that kind of thing, that is the context that you consider it in that Tim McMillan has been impeccable in terms of his track record on this kind of thing and um, the debrief you know in general as an organization similar thing 
and that that for me actually made it more kind of something to grab onto and get stuck into than if it came out through one of the other outlets that I mentioned earlier. They might have a bigger reach, but I know that I can sort of vouch for the credibility of the the background checking the debrief would have done. Anyway, so Grush claims that the US federal government maintains a highly secretive UFO retrieval program and actually possesses multiple spacecraft of non-human origin. Uh, Well, we say spacecraft, but really it's just technology, uh, vehicles, pieces of non-human technology. And this actually extends as well to the potentially you know, bodies of, of deceased pilots. That's something that Grush has said very, very clearly. And very concerningly, um, Grush claims that there's, you know, s- substantial evidence of actual white-collar crimes that took place to conceal these secret programs and that he interviewed officials who actually said that people had been killed to conceal these programs. And... It's very concerning when you hear about things like that. These programs supposedly uh, operating outside of congressional oversight, you know, which is essentially illegal, and, and in some cases, very clear uh, evidence apparently uh, was gathered to prove that the mis- misappropriation of funds and that some very very dodgy and unpleasant um, things had gone on in order to maintain this secrecy, which is. At the end of the day, like I've said on the podcast many times, you know, the government is there to serve the the people. And when these secretive programs start to take things a step too far and withhold things from Congress, who are the ones that essentially represent the people, that that sort of if if you put it in layman's terms, is is basically the government abusing their their authority and their power to be able to keep things secret and, and, and allow themselves to operate outside of that oversight, which should never happen. And very concerning that people have supposedly been killed, harassed, threatened, and so on. Now, the thing is, is that Dave Grush himself doesn't claim to have like been inside a spaceship or, you know, had hands on high fives an alien or, you know, something like that. It's nothing as kind of direct as that um but at the end of the day he claims that his job was to look into this and he came at it from that point of view of somebody who was um, not necessarily a, a big fan of this topic or anything like that he just had a glowing record his track record of his career up to that point was that he was very thorough and, and would be a good person to actually look into this and really get to the bottom of it after having done so a couple of years of investigation of trying to poke around every single nook and cranny to find out what was going on with this and interviewed a very large number i think it's about 40 people that he'd actually spoken to claimed to have direct knowledge of of these programs um and in some cases still worked on these programs um you know the the conclusion that he came to at the end of all of that that there is really something going on here uh, which is absolutely fascinating now, all of this um, came out. There was a, a whole storm about it. It ended up on um, some some pretty mainstream websites and things. And there was a bit of a series of, of kind of, you know, fallout type things that happened as a result of that. Um, 
there was a very scathing letter from Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick that came out at some point, which was really just a kind of a, a weird, bitter, baffling attempt to discredit a whistleblower who was essentially all he was doing was was recounting his experiences of what he did when he was paid by the government to look into ufos and it, it seems very strange that the director of of the pentagon's uap investigation office arrow the old domain anomaly resolution office the director of that office came out to actively try and publicly discredit a, a person who is essentially claiming to have evidence which he can't reveal to the public on a podcast or in a documentary or in a news program but this man is claiming that he's got this evidence and that he's willing to show it to anybody in the correct setting with the right security clearances and the director of the office that's supposed to be looking at this from the point of view of the the dod the department of defense the director of that office comes out and 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 publishes this letter trying to discredit him Surely the thing that, that that director of that office should be doing at that stage is to reach out to this person and get get him in a skiff as soon as possible and uh, secure facilities and, and, you know, get this information. That's like, uh, <laughs> but no, he puts out this, this, this bizarre letter attempting to sort of basically cast doubt on on uh, what what Mr. Grush was doing, and this this came off the back of uh, another hearing, which was organised by a real sort of bipartisan effort of of politicians in the United States, um, who brought forward Mr. Grush and uh, Ryan Graves and Dave Fravor. And there's a very significant difference between them. Um, so Grush is the actual whistleblower here um, who's kind of caused this splash most recently. But Ryan Graves and Dave Fravor are both fighter pilots who have, have witnessed things during the course of their career. Uh, and again, neither of them were UFO enthusiasts, but they came across things during their um, you know, very high-level, uh, highly respectable careers uh, Dave Fravor, for example, literally one of the the best pilots in the world, and um, you know was a was a real Top Gun pilot, literally. And this these these people saw things, and then all, a lot of what they're saying links in, obviously, with what what Grush has come out and and said. And there was various other shocking. Uh, kind of bits of, of fallout off the back of, of the whole thing about Grush coming out as well, which was there was a somebody within the intelligence community seems to have tipped off a journalist about some some difficult chapters of, of Mr. Grush's life. Um, there was the fact that various people tried to rake him over the coals for being autistic. And now, you know, somebody being on the autistic spectrum, in my opinion, not a valid criticism really at all. Uh, at the end of the day, I've had some experiences with people on the spectrum. Uh, I'm not going to go into specifics, but you know, in my opinion, it, it, to to use that to suggest that they're not reliable or in, in some way can't be trusted or don't have accurate judgment on certain things is just a complete misunderstanding of what being autistic or being on the autistic spectrum is all about. And to me, it's just not a valid criticism of of the person at all. Um, if anything, I suppose you could say that some of the slightly unusual, um, you know, mannerisms and things like that, that that would sort of explain that a little bit. But 
certainly doesn't do anything to discredit anything that he's saying or question his, you know his credibility of his career or anything along the lines of that similarly he also suffered with ptsd and uh, this is grush suffered with ptsd and had times where he was struggling with with alcohol and you know considering that you know a, a pretty large percentage of veterans suffer with these kind of problems this again just to me doesn't seem like a particularly valid criticism um, it, it sort of highlights the, the the bravery of the man really for what he actually did during his career and the sacrifices he made for his country and also I suppose his resilience the fact that he actually overcame these problems as well that that's kind of what I took from it and I do think these kind of attempts to discredit him as well you know um, backfired essentially because it for the reasons that I just suggested, that's the way that it hit me. And I think a lot of other people would have looked into these things in the same way. Um, it's actually nothing that makes me, you know, distrust the person or, or question his claims at all. The, the things are, are pretty much completely separate. Now, obviously, there are certain other things, like if, if he turns out to be like, um, you know, a, a heroin addict or a meth addict or something like that and, and was like, you know, that's a completely different thing. But for somebody to have PTSD when they're coming out of the military and, you know, have, have the occasional run-ins with, with alcohol and, and, you know, got into a bad spot now and again, um, it, it, you know, it, it, I don't think it's anything that, that constitutes valid criticism at all, to be quite honest. Now, going back to the actual hearing itself, so obviously this is one of those these rare occasions where the Republicans and the Democrats in America actually seem to be agreeing on. Now, that's not to say that every single politician is all in on this topic and wants to push it forward because there's, there's, that's definitely not the case. There are certainly folks who are more interested in this than others um, and more kind of willing to to put their name to this than others whereas other politicians would prefer us to completely um you know ignore it altogether but i think this push for kind of greater transparency you know this this transparency being demanded from the pentagon and the intelligence agencies like the public and certain politicians who represent the public have had enough of this uh, over the top secrecy and have really tried to push for more transparency on this particular issue and i suppose it has a knock-on effect to other issues too um you know the the fact is at the end of the day we've seen a rare outbreak of kind of bipartisan cooperation and i find that a very encouraging sign really it'd be nice to see that in in other areas as well at the end of the day there's more that we have in common than what separates us you know on this issue and on a lot of other issues as well but we do live in a very polarised time. So the, the the hearing that we're um, that we're talking about actually, you know, delved into a lot of these specific claims. And I think the fact is there were a lot of um, you know re restating of certain things that we've already heard about in Grush's interviews that he did. You know, in some ways, I would suggest that the interview that he did first and foremost was probably the most. Uh, it was a News Nation interview with Ross Coulter, and that was probably the most candid, if you like, that he that he was. I think there's probably an element of it where he'd already pretty much said everything that he could say. There's a process that you have to go through once you've had security clearances, working in the types of roles as an intelligence officer. 
you have to you have to clear with the the Department of Defense. You know what you can actually say. It's called DOPSA, and that's basically just to to run through. Like this is what I'm thinking of talking about. Um, do you you know authorize me to discuss this publicly? Is that okay, or am I going to be encroaching any areas that you would rather me not talk about? So. Dave Grush had already been through this process of, of having everything authorised in order to be able to discuss it. And during the hearing, obviously he's going to be a little bit more cautious um, because if, you, if you're pre-recording something and you accidentally say something that you shouldn't have said, that's not good. And obviously you would hope that that never happened, but it's a bit different when you're under oath on, in a live hearing. You're going to be a little bit more cautious perhaps. I mean, that's at least how I took it. Um, but he did uh, go on to kind of restate near enough all of the claims that he made in that interview. But I just got the sense that he was a little bit more cautious about how, you know, what he said, because a couple of words in the wrong direction and you, you've kind of got yourself into some serious trouble. But he, he did make all the same claims again in that setting, you know, under oath. And there was a, a real sort of important moment at the beginning where all three of the witnesses stood up and, you know, took the oath hand in the air that kind of thing which was i must admit obviously i was on hiatus at this stage but it was really quite you know unbelievable to see that 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 was actually taking place and uh really quite i, I would have never su- never suggested that, that i thought that, that would ever happen when i first started my podcast for example and uh, it was was great to see and really, really fascinating. But I, I don't think I learned anything else from Ryan Graves or Dave Fravor. Really, what they were doing was just bringing the context in that Dave Fravor's experience was all the way back in 2004. You know, Ryan Graves had seen things in the meantime. And now here is Grush, you know, kind of talking about these things, you know, things that he's seen during his active role over the last couple of years. So it really gave a nice, you know, summary of the fact that this hasn't just been going on in the last couple of years it's been going on over the last few decades and based on what dave grush has actually seen this has been going on for multi-decades uh, in terms of the actual programs that are looking into this so he, he specifically told uh, the the attendees at that hearing that he was informed of a multi-decade uap crash retrieval and reverse engineering program during the course of his work examining these programs he was denied access to those programs when he requested it and he's basically accusing the military of misappropriating funds to shield these operations from that congressional oversight he said that he had interviewed officials who had had direct knowledge of aircraft with non-human origins and that so-called biologics were recovered from some of these craft and that's the specific word that was used biologics must admit it's not one that i've heard much before um biologics like bio bio biological entities i suppose you know you avoid having to use the entity bit the bio biologics well that was the term used anyway i don't know why that specific term but that's the one that was used and he went on to to restate the fact that he'd been the victim of harassment that he'd had he, he was basically in fear of his life that he could provide evidence of near enough everything that he was talking about but that evidence obviously you know touches on the the, the classified world and and that he can't just spill the beans about any of that because he wants to do the national the right thing in terms of national security and 
he did say that near enough everything that he was saying could be verified in a classified setting with the right clearances. And again, a lot of people were quite frustrated about that. But the fact that to me just doesn't show that he doesn't have any evidence. It shows that he does have the evidence, but he's not willing to jeopardize national security by, you know, spilling the beans about that. He's, but he will reveal that to the people who've got the correct clearances behind closed doors. And a particularly uh, interesting thing was he's got a, uh, it's always, this is one of the key things that stuck in my head about this hearing was that he has a, a witness list, um, cooperative and hostile witness list, I believe was the, the way that he described it, which is very interesting. So some of the people that he spoke to were, were quite cooperative and, and agreed, you know, with, with looking into these things and, and getting the word out and presumably the hostile witnesses weren't weren't so cooperative and I would imagine they have to comply legally but probably weren't weren't very open to it and it's it's absolutely fascinating to you know to think about what more might come from all of this now just going into a couple of the other bits there's a Matt Gates. Uh, there's a statement made by Matt Gates at this same hearing as well, and Matt Gates is a co- a controversial politician uh, in in the United States, and he's a member of various committees, the important committees, the House Armed Services Committee and the House Judiciary Committee, um, and he's done a lot of work uh, on national security, veterans affairs, and and things like that. The controversy aspect comes in because he's a big supporter of Donald Trump and, um, you know, it is very much along that line of, you know, of, of politics, which obviously some people are going to massively disagree with, other people are going to be uh, in agreement with. But the, just setting that kind of thing aside, the actual statement that was made by Gates about uh, a UAP incident in his in his area um was was really fascinating and it was another area that sort of really stuck out in my head after having watched that hearing so this is a little bit of a long clip and if you've not seen it already it's about five minutes long so you can if you don't want to hear it again you can just skip but i'm going to play the whole whole clip because it's really really um interesting and for me one of the key points that came out of this hearing Several months ago, my office received a protected disclosure from Eglin Air Force Base indicating that there was a UAP incident that required my attention. I sought a briefing regarding that episode and brought with me Congressman Burchett and Congresswoman Luna. We asked to see any of the evidence that had been taken by flight crew in this endeavor and to observe any radar signature uh, as long as as well as to meet with the flight crew. We were not afforded access to all of the flight crew. And initially, we were not afforded access to images and to radar. Thereafter, we had a bit of a discussion about how authorities flow in the United States of America, and we did see the image. And we did meet with one member of the flight crew who took the image. The image was of something that I am not able to attach to any human capability, either from the United States or from any of our adversaries. And I'm somewhat informed on the matter, having served on the Armed Services Committee for seven years, having served on the committee that oversees DARPA and advanced technologies for several years. Um, 
when we spoke with the flight crew and when he showed us the photo that he'd taken, I asked why the video wasn't engaged, why we didn't have a FLIR system that worked. Here's what he said. They were out on a test mission that day over the Gulf of Mexico. And when you're on a test mission, you're supposed to have clear airspace, not supposed to be anything that shows up. And they saw a sequence of four craft in a clear diamond formation for which there is uh, a radar sequence that I and I alone have observed in the United States Congress. One of the pilots goes to check out that diamond formation and sees a large floating, what I can only describe as an orb. Again, like I said, not of any human capability that I'm, that I'm aware of. And when he approached, he said that his radar went down. He said that his FLIR system malfunctioned and that he had to manually take this image um, from one of the lenses and it was not automatic, automated uh, in collection as you would typically see in a test mission. So uh, I guess I'll start with Commander Fravor. How should we think about the fact that this craft that was approached by our pilot uh, had the capability of disarming a number of the sensor and collection systems on that craft? Well, I think this goes to that national security side. You can go back through history of things showing up at certain areas and disabling our capabilities, which is disheartening. And for us, I mean, like I said, it, it completely disabled the radar on the aircraft when it tried to do it. And the only way we could see it is passively, which is how he got that image. So I think that's a, that's a concern on what are these doing, not only how do they operate, but their capabilities inside to do things like this. And, and how should we think about four craft moving in a very clear formation, equidistant from one another, um, in a diamond? In, in all of the phenomenon, perhaps, Mr. Grave, that you've analyzed, um, have we ever seen multiple craft in a, in a single formation? I have one particular case, and that was uh, during the gimbal incident. Um, the recording on the AT FLIR system shows a single object that rotates um, you hear the pilots refer to a, a fleet of objects that is not visible on the FLIR system. And, and that was something that I witnessed during the debrief as part of the radar data on the situational awareness page. I would like to add, however, Congressman, uh, there's a small, uh, small bit of uh, uh, anger, I would say, I would feel that those pilots are still uh, facing that difficulty in reporting this topic and they don't have the tools to be able to mitigate this issue. It just goes to show how serious this is and why this is such an important issue for our pilots and for our nation. It was stated explicitly to me by these test pilots that if you have a UAP experience, the best thing you can do for your career is forget it and not tell anyone. Because any type of reporting, either above the surface or below the surface, uh, does have a perceived consequence to these people. And that is a culture we must change if we want to get to the truth. Uh, Mr. Chairman, I, I would observe that perhaps as we, as we move forward from this hearing, there are some obvious next steps. Every person watching this knows that we need to meet with Mr. Grush in a secure compartmentalized facility so that we can get fulsome answers that do not put him in jeopardy and that, and that give us the information we need. Second, I would suggest that the radar images from, um, that were collected of this formation of craft out of Eglin Air Force Base, and specifically the actual image 
taken by the actual flight crew that we can actually validate um, be provided to the committee, subpoenaed if necessary, um, so that we're able to track how to get this type of reporting and analysis done in a more fulsome way. That would be my recommendation, humbly, as a guest here of the Fine Oversight Committee. I yield back. So an absolutely fascinating account, and that's one that I've watched multiple times at, at, at this stage. And that's so important because it seems to me like um, the Nimitz case, you know, which was spoken about by Dave Fravor, and again, listeners of this podcast, it's become a running joke at this stage, that the, the Nimitz case, Dave Fravor's intercepts of the Tic Tac and all of the various other pilots and radar operators who saw that object all the way back in 2004, the, the reason that that's the gold standard is because there's a ton of data. You know, there's the, the radar data, all, all of it's classified, but the, those that have actually looked at this data have said that despite having seen it, there isn't anything that changes their minds, that this was something truly anomalous and that there is no explanation for it, even with all of the classified data. The point is we've got multiple eyewitnesses, very, very credible individuals, multiple sensor systems that pick this thing up. A pilot actually flew out to see the object with his own eyes. And later, another pilot went out to actually see it, saw the same object, filmed it. And the, the film of that particular incident of the Tic Tac is available for the public to see. It's absolutely fascinating to me uh, that that case, you know, is is almost like the gold standard that we don't know what to do with and then we've got from the sounds of it another case there as reported by gates which took place very similar thing all of that sensor data that he himself has seen actual photographs of this object actually taken by pilots as well and this is something that happened very recently and i was on my hiatus thinking why is nobody making more of a big fuss about this Eglin Air Force Base case and of course um, our old pal Chris Sharp from Liberation Times did make a fuss out of it and has put out an ex excellent article digging into this and in which he was able to verify that these everything that Gage was saying essentially stacks up he did have that meeting he did actually see all of this data and the, the cases um, as he described it a really fascinating part of, of what came out of that hearing and even if you set aside everything else that happened if you imagine a couple of years ago uh you know uh, again i was going to say respected but it depends on what part of the political spectrum you sit on as to whether you respect the individual but let, let's just say a very well established member of the political world in america not known for talking about ufos up until this point as he said in the clip that i just played somebody who's very well informed about national security and, and you know, cutting edge kind of military projects and things has actually gone, you know, gone up on, on, um, on, on camera and said about a, a very recent, very data dense case that's took place. You know, it, even just that alone, if you separate everything else out of, from that hearing, that's basically another, Nimitz level case in terms of the credibility of the case, the credibility of the multiple witnesses, the the sensor data. There's an there's an actual image of the object. It's um yeah, it's crazy. As you can probably tell, it gets me a bit fired up even just thinking about that. And you know, so where do we go from here then? You know, at the end of the day, I think 
there's been a lot of discussion amongst the UFO community and also the wider mainstream off the back of this last few months' developments. And I thought I'd just, you know, with the, with a the bit more time that we've that we've got left in today's episode, I'd just go through a few key points that have come up both in the UFO community itself and also the wider mainstream and give my thoughts on, on these a little bit. So one of them is that disclosure is imminent. This shows that there's a plan that the government have got to reveal all. And I suppose linked to that as well is is another point that's kind of the opposite of that, which is that oh there's it's just this all seems a bit too, you know, too weird. Like this has got to be a distraction from something else. And that's funnily enough actually a conversation I had with a, a, a family member. Um I won't I won't say who, just in case they end up listening to the pod. But um you know, a couple of family members and colleagues and things. And if you're not really that particularly, you know, invested in this in this topic, you might you might think that it sort of seems right. You know, there's there's always a bit of smoke and mirrors with things. But when you actually are involved in this topic, you know, a bit of a, high, a deeper level sort of thing, and I don't think either of those points really makes a great deal of sense. And that's just my standpoint. I mean, again, people who are listening to this would probably disagree. Some some folks and some would some would um, would agree with what I'm saying. That's that's all part of you know just thinking things through, isn't it? You know. But for me, I'll explain why I don't think either of those points is is a particularly valid point. The fact that I'll start with that first one. There's a plan, a disclosure plan that the government are going to reveal all. I mean. People have been saying that for decades, first of all, that, you know, this show, every, every time there's any kind of a development in the topic, people say it's part of a plan, the government are about to spill the beans, you know, it's finally time and all this kind of thing. If that's the case, they've not done a great job of it so far. They've had plenty of opportunity to roll this out, considering, you know, if everything that we have heard is true, that there's crashed, you know, non-human technologies and it's been been there since at least 1947, you know, potentially even way before that. They've had a long time at this stage to be able to roll out this plan. And, you know, think about all of the times in the past, like in the 70s and 80s, the UFO films like the Close Encounters, E.T., The Extraterrestrial, you know, the interest in those films that relatively credibly present the idea of, of a non-human visitation, especially like Close Encounters and, and E.T. It's, it's not kind of like, you know, cartoony little green men coming out, is it? There's a bit more of a discussion there about what it means to humanity and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And if if there was really some kind of a plan, you know, they've had plenty of opportunities to, to make the most of that, you know? And it goes back to the whole thing of the government are going to... Rev- the government is such a vast organisation in the United States... Bearing in mind, there's plenty of other governments around the world who presumably have quite a lot of information on all of this as well. But we'll focus on the US because that's where a lot of the progress has been happening in recent years. You know, the government itself, dis- using this as a distraction in that second point, or the the government have a plan to reveal all, it's just far too general. I mean, for me, I've been looked into this quite a bit and certainly there's people who've looked into it more than i have i'm not saying i'm the rcni or anything like that but to me it, you know 
if this is really the case that these secretive programs exist, there would be a, a very small number of people who are actually read into what's actually going on. You know, many, many people who are listening will have just seen the Oppenheimer film recently. And when you think about the level of secrecy that was used during the development of the atomic bomb, you know, according to leaked, leaked documents, this is something that would, and, and I think just logically as well, this is, if this is all true, that there is non-human technology being found and it's got properties perhaps that we can't even begin to imagine how to, how to create, it sort of stands to reason and it seems to be backed up in, in various documents and things that this is actually seen as uh, a higher level of classification than the atomic bomb. And if that's the case, you're really going to keep it tightly under wraps and potentially even, you know, maybe at some stage in the past, there has been a president that has allowed it to operate you know, outside of that typical congressional oversight for for reasons of national security. If it was deemed to be that important, then, then why not? But I think the actual way that it's all playing out here is not that the government have got a plan to reveal everything or... They're not going to reveal anything. This is just a distraction. Things like that are just far too general. There's a lot more nuance to it than that. And the reality of it is there's people within government who are all in favour of transparency. And there are other people who are probably not in favour of transparency. And there are probably a lot of other people, probably the majority, who just don't even have an interest in this whatsoever and just don't look into it at all. And this idea that there's a plan to just spill the beans and it's going to it's going to happen within the next year and that kind of thing um it just doesn't seem to tally all the progress that we're seeing at the moment is because of um a relatively small uh group of of people who have been on the the other side of this this curtain of secrecy and have actually pushed for um you know for these videos to be released for example the the, the videos that came out the go fast, the gimbal, and the the tic tac, the flare video, you know, these were were brought out by people who've been on the inside and seen a lot, and you know, perhaps even they haven't seen the full picture, but they've seen enough to know that something's really going on here, and that the public deserve to know about this, and that the secrecy is being taken to extremes, and they have have you know made these efforts in recent years to be able to push all of this forward to essentially force the hand of the secret keepers you know something that myself and dave have talked a lot about on the pod over the last couple of years which is that there's the 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 in the nose those who are actually aware of what's really going on with these secret programs and then there's the the wanna knows the people who've seen enough to know that something's going on and are trying to get to the bottom of this from the inside and then obviously there are those that are in favour of, of increased transparency. And again, it's not as if everybody who's looking into this, who wants to know what's going on, even from the inside, are in favour of transparency. There may be some folks that are in favour of complete transparency, throw, you know, rip the band-aid off, as they say, uh, throw Pandora's box wide open, whereas there are others who might say that a very limited uh, you know, amount of, of disclosure would be the right thing to do just to accept that there is something there but not reveal any of the details, you know, because we don't want to give our adversaries any kind of an advantage and things like that. So it's so nuanced 
these ideas that the government's going to reveal everything and you know in comparison to you know the other the other way of looking at it that oh, there's nothing it's just all nonsense but it's a distraction from something else they're trying to do they're just far too general and miss a lot of the nuance in my opinion moving on to another one which is that you know this is one that's most commonly discussed within the ufo community i suppose it links to what um you know what i was saying in that previous point which is you know the toothpaste out of the tube as as, as we always hear you know all the cats out of the bag cows out of the barn the ketchup's out of the bottle you know bananas out of the skin or <laughs> whatever creative use of words you want to use to make that point in other words you know, what it all means is there's no going back now we've reached a tipping point enough has come out that you know there isn't a way now that the secret keepers are going to be able to uh, keep this you know locked away they're going to have to reveal it all and it's going to be by the end of this year you know things like that i just personally i think the, the i'd said i was going to eat a raw mushroom on the podcast if, if a government official comes out and announces the presence of a non-human intelligence i said that way back in about march or something and i think what we are now october i think it's fair to say i'm not going to be eating a mushroom this year um and if it's by the way i'm not eating a mushroom generally <laughs> the point was if it happens this year i'll eat the mushroom um you know it's like the old phrase isn't it i'll eat my hat you know uh, i don't wear a hat so i was using a mushroom instead but the fact is i think it's very very unlikely at the end of the day the people who are, who have been keeping this secret if all of this is indeed the case you know like i've been speculating about a, a secret hidden program you know potentially within the department of energy you know using the same kind of secrecy protocols that were put into place from the development of the atomic bomb and you know nowadays kind of operating in a sort of carved out niche outside of the usual oversight managing to get funding from the american taxpayer um you know indirectly and things like that again very shady practices but the sorts of practices that we know have happened in the past and you know are likely to be happening again if something of this importance is being kept secret you know the fact is that you know it's if they're if they've been keeping the secret this effectively for this long you know with, with a few leaks along the way a few people who have whistleblown through the decades you know but they've managed to keep it so secret that when a whistleblower or a leak happens they have got kind of the 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 momentum on their side you know they are bloody good at keeping this secret you know we've heard time and time again about people being harassed who've tried to speak out about this who've seen things on the inside people get their careers destroyed people get the credibility torn to shreds in front of the whole world and dave grush is just the most recent one but arguably one of the most impactful ones certainly in recent times but the fact is these people have got you know they've still got that momentum on their side if you talk to the average person they'll they'll probably know that something's happened with all of this recently in the mainstream but they're not going to be fully bought into it it's going to i don't at this point i don't really know what it would take for the public to kind of accept you know that there is something to this I mean, it's, at what point can you actually sort of say that the the balance of public opinion has shifted towards this is obviously a thing, you know? And and I don't know if 
if if that is going to happen in my lifetime or not you know I, I just think there's this there's this concept of you know we're looking at this from the point of view of people who are interested in ufos we're looking at this all the time and it can seem like we've reached a tipping point but i still think that the balance of power is firmly on the side of the secret keepers you know, at the end of the day, the stigma that was manufactured around this topic um, decades and decades ago, you know, over the various ways that they've they've done that, convinced the public there's nothing to this and it's just a joke and, you know, or we can just have a laugh about little green men. And there's still enough of that. That stigma is healthy. It's alive and well. You know, just, just that clip that Gates um, what was talking about earlier on, the best thing that people can do is just not to report it. I mean, it's absolutely insane the 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 worry of national security from that point of view. You know, if our, our best pilots and our best sensor systems, um, and I, I say our, I mean American. You know, the best pilots and sensor systems that the states has got pick something up, but they just don't want to talk about it. That that just shows that that that, that stigma is alive and well. And at the end of the day, for me, a lot of that toothpaste has come out of the tube, but they're very, very good at keeping that secret and sticking the lid back on that toothpaste tube. And don't get me wrong, I think it's massive progress. A lot of the things that I already suspected, having looked into this topic for a little while now, and a lot of the people that I speak to, um, a lot of the things that we suspected have been essentially verified by Grush and what he said here. But... I think it's very important as well not to get carried away with thinking that we're going to see like a full disclosure from the government by the end of the year. I mean, there was various people had said, and I, you know, I think I'd even discussed this on the show that UAP might end up being a, a, a presidential debate topic. Now, I don't, I, I'd love to be pleasantly surprised, but I don't think that that's going to be the case because I just think it's too we're still quite a way off that as much as again looking at this all the time and stuff we can we can feel like momentum is building and building and building we've reached this tipping point now and the whole world are gonna have to wake up to this new reality i just i just don't i don't think that that's going to happen and the, the idea of it being a, a presidential debate topic um there's still way too much risk of it being used against a presidential candidate if they bring it up their opponent can use that against them and they know that there's enough stigma there for that to be the case and it they wouldn't risk doing it. I think, you know, a president's taking it seriously behind the scenes is, is, a, is a different matter, but in terms of publicly debating that and, and throwing it out there as a topic that you want the public to be on your side, I don't think we've reached that stage personally. It'd be interesting to see what other people think about all these. These are just my opinions, of course. I would be interested to hear from folks. As always, drop me an email, ufothinker at hotmail.com. If you've got any really interesting, um, you know, cases that you want to discuss in a secure setting, uh, I don't have a skiff, but I've got ufothinker at protonmail.com. Do feel free to get in touch there if you've got any uh, of your own sightings or videos or if there's any uh, UK uh, you know, folks who've been involved in this on the uh, behind the curtain of secrecy, I would be interested to hear. Not not holding my breath on that one, but you never know. But I suppose it's just thinking as well about, you know, what what is going to happen from here. You know, it's the mainstream starting to pick up on this, and 
what we've definitely seen without a shadow of a doubt over the last couple of months has been because of this increased attention on the topic the mainstream have have certainly picked up on some pretty wacky and sensationalist types of stories you know and jumped to conclusions there was obviously this thing about those mummies in mexico and whilst i'm certainly of the opinion that anything that looks very intriguing should be fully you know scientifically investigating things like that having looked into the the mexican mummies i don't think that there's a great deal you know to cling on to there without seeing the absolute full analysis you can't say for sure but to me the nature of the way this is that's been presented and and what i've seen on it so far i certainly don't think it's uh it's almost like a you know uh, an unwanted distraction really and i think you've got to remember stuff like that is going to generate big headlines you know these these you know what what supposedly alien bodies um and that's that if you if you've got that picture you can create a big headline and in some ways i think things like that do more harm than good i mean don't get me wrong if if those bodies were presented with a proper scientific investigation that absolutely proves without a shadow of a doubt through perhaps a peer-reviewed paper and um, you know proper genetic analysis and you know we can 100% say that this is definitely non-human and so on that's that's a different thing but i don't think we've had that level of analysis and the analysis that has been done i don't think is has been done in the way that you would want um, to be able to prove something like that and in some ways can do more harm than good because people look into it they see the screen the thumbnail there of the the alien face or whatever and then you click on it and then you realize that actually this is on a bit of shaky ground and it can it can yeah i think it can sort of if we're trying to convince the the world that there really is something to this i think you know there are better ways to do it and there's always going to be things where you know journalism you know sort of creates this at the end of the day we live in a world where clickbait is king at the moment you know you click on a thumbnail and what you actually clicked on is a bit different to what you know you thought and so on there's going to be a lot of that going on as soon as journalists and and media outlets realize that there is clicks to be had by the interest in this topic we've got to be prepared for that and every time we see uh, what appears to be a big story or a big development we do have to take it with a, a pinch of salt and make sure that we do the full due diligence it's like i was saying about the dave grush coming forward yeah i've heard many times that a whistleblower's come out and oh this guy worked on the alien program or this guy used to work on an underground base that had communications with aliens and things you know the amount of times you hear that over the years the thing that's different about grush is that his background is verified and as the 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 homework was done in advance of him coming out by the debrief by the other journalists like ross coltart who'd looked into his background and spoken to people he'd worked with and checked out his entire history of his career. I mean, where possible, because obviously some aspects of it are, 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 are deeply classified and things, but that is what made it stand apart as a, as a really interesting development. And, you know, we've got to make sure that that 
due diligence has been done on any UFO cases that come forward, on any UFO stories. Because at the end of the day, you know, if, if, if we are interested in it, that's surely what we should be doing to make sure that we're not, you know, buying into something that's BS. I think what used to put me off this topic for years and years was, you know, you type into YouTube, you know, what's going on with aliens, you know, whatever, what's going on with UFOs. And inevitably what you get is page after page of complete BS documentaries, stuff that just is completely sensationalist, you know, really wacky stories. And there's so much of that already out there. It's very important to try and separate that wheat from the chaff. But anyway, the main thing is, I think I've talked enough there. I wanted to do a bit of an episode where I kind of just went through a lot of what's been happening in my time that I've not been here. Um, It's been quite interesting, I must say, to sit back and obviously I've been following the topic closely all this time. But to be able to sit back and, and see everything play out and um, and it, it's nice to be back. I've enjoyed being on the microphone for this last hour and hopefully you've enjoyed listening. And if you're one of those folks who used to listen to me when you were walking your dog or driving your car to work or whatever, uh, I hope it's been good to have me back, keeping you company. And you'll have to let me know, actually. But I always love to hear these kind of stories of like where you listen to the pod. You know, do you listen in the car? Do you listen, you know while you're sort of like going for a jog do you listen on a fishing trawler in the arctic circle you know it's always great to hear and um it'd be great to hear from folks now i'm back uh, to let me know that you're still out there listening and that kind of thing and um uh, for anybody who um who wants to support the pod you can obviously go to patreon.com forward slash ufo thinker um you can support the podcast from a couple of pounds dollars whatever your local currency is per month and that really does help me to cover all the costs and you know i would like eventually one day to be able to spend more time on the podcast and you know the the absolute dream would be to be able to do this for a living one day and there are folks out there who do it and maybe that'll be me me one day um but until until i get to that stage i'm going to be back to business as usual now you'll be pleased to know um, monthly roundtables and we're going to be getting in episodes wherever i can so uh, it's great to be back i hope you've enjoyed listening to me ramble on a bit of a summary again of, of what's been happening and i'm hoping to to do some episodes um where i'm going into specific topics so like you know whatever the specific topic might be i won't give away my, my plans for those but i've got a few bits in the pipeline i'll leave that as a surprise um I'll be doing some recent events episodes where I talk about things that have been going on for any new developments. It's been quite quiet, actually, the last few weeks, probably even the last month. But I think once everything kicks off in the political world in America again, uh, we're going to start to see some more uh, some more things happening and the wheels start to turn again and that kind of thing. And uh, hopefully get some interviews booked in as well. Uh, there was a couple of bits that I was hoping to, to do before my hiatus that I never managed to bring to fruition. So, um, yeah, lots to look forward to. And the Christmas episode, of course, I'll get that planned out and get that sorted hopefully soon as well. And, uh, yeah, so there we go. I'm going to leave it there for now. But until next time, take it easy, stay curious, and I'll catch you in the next episode. UFO Thinker Podcast.